non-halachic segment of Torah, meaning, for lack of a better label, anything that's not focused towards halacha, there is a broad range of things. Some of it is Musr, which is t- inspiring people to do the right things, exhorting them, and that's the focus of it. And that's very important. Examples of that are Sfarim like Mesel Sisharim, Akhus Sadiqim, Chavos Alvavos, and so on. Now, there's another group which deals with those mitzvos that a person that mainly are in a person's mind, such as faith, belief, and things of that nature. It's much harder to define them, and if it's taken on different, um, it's taken on different structures by different uh, sperm that were written. And it's hard. There, there have been sperm written that are very philosophical. A lot of Spanish philosophers were like that. It resembles ancient philosophy a lot, dealing with a lot of difficult ideas and based on sort of uh, extrapolated reasoning. That's one genre of svarim. There are Kabbalah-type svarim, which deal with a different mesorahs of Kabbalah. The Rambam is somewhere in the middle, in the fact that the Rambam in his, in, in his svarim seems to tread a very fine line of what is absolutely necessary as far as these are points that are absolutely necessary for the structure of understanding Judaism and versus going off on a tangent or going into any particular school. It is more in Avuchim and some of his other Sfarim he does elaborate more but in the Sefer as the whole Rambam it's very very structured and to the point and specific. So that's a, it's an advantage of studying it because you get a very clear sense of the structure. Secondly the uh, second point. The Rambam's greatness is, um, I would say, three points is specifically great in, this, in, in, in what is written. First of all, it's, um, people don't realize how difficult it would have been to write a Rambam. The Rambam is summing up the Gemara. And theoretically, almost every law in the Rambam can be traced back to a Gemara. But imagine, uh, let's, let's take science as an example. Uh, we have a doctor here. Imagine nobody would have put forth any theories of science and you just would have experiments of 200 years worth of experiments and nobody, and you'd have to start making sense out of it. I don't think there's a human being that could do that. It's just because everybody's done a little set of experiments and made a little theory and it's been proven, not disproven and whatever and then somebody else puts together two or three theories and builds a bigger theory. You, you build on sub-blocks and, and, and sub-blocks and so on. That's the way you build up a system. The Gemara is discussions. It's discussions, debates, and many times the Gemara comes to a conclusion. But it's very loose, and you've got to say to yourself, well, in one place a conclusion like this, in another place it's different. Are they arguing? Are they talking about different cases? Are they, are they, are they merely looking at different aspects of the same case? It's, it's, it was extremely difficult. And the Raman writes that that's why he put it together. So basically, to make a structure out of something as amorphous as the Talmud is tremendous. Now, looking back, it's simple. It, just like if you have a scientific theory, any, any student could simply take the facts and check them against the theory. It's not a problem anymore. To, to do it backwards, if I have the theory and I say, these are the experiments, explain them in light of the theory, if the theory is correct, it, it, it's a cinch. So once we have the Raman today, it's very simple to go back and say, hey, well, this is this Gemara, this is this Gemara, this is this Gemara, and you must obviously feel this Gemara is arguing, and this overrules this. It's, it's, it's a very simple feat going backwards. It was awesome going forward, and he did it with the entire Talmud. So one thing is the, the actual creating a structure for something which was basically amorphous was an awesome undertaking. And unfortunately, we don't, we don't give it enough credit because we see it after it's done. Secondly, the, this logical structure of the Rambam is extraordinary. Basically, he's, he's give, he, he, he had a million laws, and he made a perfect outline. A perfect in the sense that you can learn a lot from the outline. It's not just convenient. It's, if, if certain laws are in a certain subdivision, then you can actually point out a lot of things about that and say, this law comes from this angle, not from that angle. So the structure of the Rambam is extraordinary. The third thing that the Rambam is really, really extraordinary in is the sharpness of his language. He tried to be as precise, as concise as can be, and really, really um, focused his words as in, in as sharp 
as explanation as he could. There is not anything meant to be extra or, um, let's say, not precise. And in Halachi part of Rambam, a lot of that, when you learn the Gemara and you work the Rambam, it, it comes up much more sharply in focus. In these areas, it's a little bit less, but it's still very, very pronounced, both the structure and the sharpness of it. What is different in this part of the Rambam is the lack of sources as strict as in Halacha. In Halacha, the sources are very strict. The Rambam will never say anything that's not clearly sourced. He doesn't bring the source, but there's no such thing as the Rambam's, the Rambam set a law. There are maybe a dozen places where he says, I feel this would be the case in such and such a, this would be the law in such and such a case. It's almost always weighing the Gemaras and coming up which Gemara feels important. In this area, A, there are much fewer pieces, there are much fewer areas of Talmud. <coughs> Secondly, those areas of Talmud that deal with these topics are vague, metaphorical, difficult to pin down, and it's part of his greatness, A, that he was able to structure it somewhat, and B, he filled in some of those blanks, that the, the gaping blanks, with really hard to find that there was any real source fit, except for what he felt was a simple, rational bridge between what's there and what's not there. So it's got a little bit less of sourcing in, in these chapters. One more point that I think is important to mention. In Halacha, we have a very clear sense of what is the Halacha and what's not. It, we have a, a tradition of going from um, A to B to C. There's a Gemara, there are Rishonim, you weigh the shittas, and, and all sorts of different different ways of doing it. In these areas, so if somebody has a halachic ruling, thanks a lot, if somebody has a halachic ruling, then it's, it, 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 there's a fairly clear pattern of how it should go. And there is not much room to have an extraordinary opinion. You can have one, but it doesn't carry much weight halachically. In this area of Let's, which we'll call Yesodia Torah, which means just the, ba the, the, the basic fundamentals, there is no clear halacha. No one wrote a Shulchan Aruch. There was no head-to-head -head arguing of opinions like you have in the Gemara. Very, very difficult to say it's like this and not like that. So you don't get a clear sense of halacha. What you do get is a general sense of a majority of opinion, a minority of opinion, and an extraordinary opinion. And it's important. People say, the Ramam says this and this. Thank you. The Rambam says, uh, uh, sometimes the Rambam will say something which is extraordinary. And it, it's important to put it in this perspective that it is the Rambam's opinion and it's respected as such, but almost everyone disagreed with him at that point. It doesn't, it's hard to say right or wrong, but it's important when quoting and when putting something down, it's a big difference whether it's one opinion, um, it's, it's, it's a majority opinion, or it's an extraordinary opinion, which, which the Rambam has a right to be an extraordinary opinion, but it's important to note that it's, that's what it is. Those, those are some of the introductions I, I wanted just to put down, and now we'll see it inside. I'll read it in Hebrew. I will, I mean, there, it's kind of short on language, so that means you don't need to follow it inside. It would be nice to have text if, if I was maybe some other time we'll photocopy. Okay. The first now, the Rambam structured his entire work around mitzvos. He starts off each book of his. Seva Mada, this is the book which is knowledge, I guess is what's quoted. Hilchot Yesodaya Torah subdivision, the fundamentals of Torah. And then he starts, there are the following mitzvot involved, and I will explain it. This is consistent the Rambam all over. So the Rambam starts the mitzvah, the first mitzvah, or the first two mitzvahs are to to know that there is a God, and that a person not entertain the idea that there is any other type of deity. And now he's going to explain it. And that's, so I'll read it inside slowly. And one, Yesod HaYesodos, the, the, um, pillar of the foundation of all foundations and the pillar of wisdom it is to know that there is a primary being and he brought everything else into existence that's the first sentence of his and I'd like to go a little bit onto some of the points 
the first thing is the fancy language he starts with. It is the foundation of all foundations and the pillar of all wisdoms. It is interesting that the first letters are Yud and a Hey and a Vav and a Hey, which is Hashem's name, and that's done by later. It, it's something that's common in later works. I, to the best of my knowledge, this is one of the earliest examples of it. It's unusual. The Rambam couldn't have done it in many other works. It was written in Arabic. So, so he couldn't have done... Uh, somebody actually raised the question, like, why didn't the Rambam do this type of thing or anything else? And he says, well... So someone says, well, I don't stand. It was written in Arabic. There's no way could, they couldn't do it in Arabic. But it, it, that's fine. But the Rambam tends to shy away from flowery language, and these, especially in this work. I, I'd like to explain what it means, the foundation of all foundations and the pillar of uh, w- wisdom. What's the, what's the difference in a foundation and a pillar? When you build on, on ground, and the ground is not, um, the ground is, is, is loose or it's weak, so you put in a foundation. You'll, you'll correct me on this, Dennis. If I'm, uh, you got it I got it right. Okay. <laughs> we didn't even get the building committee yet. This is, just, just, this is afterwards. This is the contract. And you've got a, a building has to rest on something. So either you make like a concrete surface or you put in piles and surround the earth, but it's got to be a foundation on which you're resting everything else. Knowledge or wisdom has to rest on some axioms. There is no way a person can, there is no wisdom in the world that stands in midair. It, 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 it has to stand on some sort of um, solid ground which is not movable or shakable. Um, and every, every system of thought has some axioms that it's dealing with. All of uh, the, the understanding of Torah rests on certain basic understandings. It's not that this is more important than the rest of the Torah, which is a point made a lot, that it's not as if we believe that belief is everything and doing the mitzvah is, is extra, but the primacy of belief is that mitzvahs are meaningful only as much as the bedrock they stand on. For instance, if a person is kind to someone because it's socially a nice thing, so the whole value of the mitzvah, as nice as he is, it's not better than what it's standing on, which is acceptance, social acceptance. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that, that's the ground that it's standing on. If a person does something because he's frightened by somebody, or, or a person got very sick and that's why he does tshuva, so somewhere along the line his activities are resting on a bedrock of self-preservation. Everything that you, all, any system, any religious system is resting on some bedrock of basic premises or axioms. So this idea that he's putting forth, he said, is the foundation of all foundations. This is going to be the bedrock that everything else will rest on. That is foundation. Pillar is the following. Now you have a foundation and you need to spread the strength of the foundation, or let's put it the other way around. You need to rest the rest of the building on the strength of the foundation. So you build out pillars and columns to, uh, so that the structure will rest on it and transfer the weight down and so on. Within the Torah itself, you get an extension of some of these ideas. And, for instance, let's, the belief that there is a God who created people and therefore he has the right, absolute right to prescribe a person what his life should be like and what he should do and so on, is, is the axiom for the validity of Torah in general. And that's fine. And even if these acts were to be just whims, but it's his absolute right. It's, it, we are total dependents, and this is, this is God ordained, and that's that. But within the mitzvot themselves, we notice a, 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 we notice a thread of this idea that God, unity of God, and, and, and the, the pervasiveness of God, all of these things are like a, they're sort of a thread that go through all the mitzvot. It's not just, I'm God, that's what I said, and that's that, and then the whole building just rests on that. Within every floor of that structure, you get a sense of um, God, His unity, His, His, His providence, and so on and so forth. So, so, and that is what He means the columns of, or as he calls it, the pillars of wisdom. Wisdom is where, where that 
ax where those axioms follow into um, follow further into the building. Just like w when you study any discipline, you start with axioms, and then then let's take geometry. You start with some basic axioms, and on each level you follow, you build one on top of the other, and that's that is the wisdom. That's that's the science of geometry. Are those continued buildings afterwards? So. A, we have it as the bedrock of all mitzvot. It's what gives mitzvot validity, is that there is a God who can dictate so. And B, this becomes the thread that runs through all mitzvot and Torah. It, 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 it structures one on top of the other, on top of the other, um, a, a continuation of this. Okay, that is point one in the Rambam. Then he says, Leda, to know. This is a very interesting term because one of one of the one of the issues that there was a lot of um, a lot of uh, argument about is the nature of belief. There were some let's take two extremes. There were some philosophers, I mean, Jewish um, Jewish religious philosophers, who very much were rationalists and believe and believed that all belief should be built on human understanding, philosophy, and so on, to the other extreme, where you had Hasidic people, like Breslau, for instance, I just pluck one out, that very much favored simple, innate, naive, not, not in a derogatory way, but in a descriptive way, a belief. And somewhere along the line you had Lubavitch, we have no Lubavitches, we have semi-Lubavitches, they, they felt that it has to be built on a certain amount of reason, but more not human reason, not philosophical reason, but more Kabbalistic reasoning, and some of the Hasidim rejected that actually. There was, a, when, when the Balatanya came out with his Tanya, there was opposition to it. Um, one of his closest friends, the Kaliska, was upset with it, and he felt that a system of such intellectual pursuit contradicts what Hasidus came to teach, and there was a, a, a you know an argument between Tugdololam about it. But at any rate, what is the mitzvah of belief? To know, to study, to argue, to prove, just to intuitively believe. The Rambam used the word leda. Now, an interesting note is in a sefer mitzvot, he uses the term lahamin, which means to believe. What's interesting about it is that this, this was a problem that was raised a lot. And w one of the solutions is simply that was written in Arabic, Sefer Mitzvot. And the term, not, I don't know the Arabic, I'm just parroting. So if anybody uh, will cares to look it up, you can look it up. There was a big, there was a big Gaon called Reb Chaim Heller. He lived in New York. He was one of the uh, unsung Gaonim. He was an extraordinary person. He knew Arabic and Greek and everything. Besides being a Gaon in Torah, he, he really was an extraordinary person. Um, Rev Salvechik, Rev Yosheba Salvechik, held him to be one of his seminal figures, one of his rebbeim. He, he was a, a quiet, unsung person. I don't, I don't even think he had an official job, but he was a real genius. And he did another translation, Sefer Mitzvot, and he said the word used is the Arabic atkad, which means knowledge and not belief. So the translation here is leda, uh, whereas the translation in whereas the translation in uh, Sefer Mitzvot, well, here is the actual word leda. So, so this is definitely superior. This is written Hebrew by the Rambam. Sefer Mitzvot, he claims that it also means to believe. To, to know, and therefore it's the same. Now, let me just explain. What does it mean it's a mitzvah to know? Both terms are very difficult to understand. You can't, and one of the easy questions, one of the first questions raised was, how can you command people to believe? Like, who are we talking to? If the person believes, then fine. If the person doesn't believe, so telling him the Rambam says you ought to believe is not gonna, not gonna get you very far. Like, who, who are we commanding? There was a, I was in Yerushalayim, there was a bookstore, many, maybe, maybe you, some of you remember Lichtenstein and Holders on Strauss. There was a, a bookstore there, and Mr. Holder was passed away a few years ago. He was born in Yerushalmi, and he became m much more modern. He was clean-shaven, he was, he was um, 
he um, pursued secular knowledge. He was, a very, he was a very nice person, very intelligent person, but he, he became very modern. And he, he was once losing the store with someone, and he told them a story about himself. He said he was a little boy who grew up in Bati Ungarn. Bati Ungarn is like the Meisharm of Meisharm. It's his, it's, you, you can't get closer to the fight than that. It's like, it really is sad. And he started getting curious, he started reading. And one of the works that he picked up was the Rambam's Guide to the Perplexed. So he wouldn't read, I mean, it, it, you know, you couldn't read it openly, it was sort of contraband. So he kept it under his covers, under his pillow. Oh, you're shocked, Mrs. Uh, you're not shocked. So, <laughs> and so he, you know, would keep it under his blanket, on his pillow. His mother was a simple woman, but but a mother's a mother, and then she's got a good sensitivity. She said, "What's going on? You know, something's going on here. Like, what is it that you keep reading?" Well, she found it. She so said, "It's the Rambam's work, Guide for the Perplexed." She she was clueless about anything. She said, "Well, what, what you know, like." Why is like why do you have to read it under the pillow and under the bed? Like you know, if 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 it's not if there's nothing fishy about it, you could do it downstairs in shul. So he said, well, I really want to find out if there's a god in that. So his mother said, for that you need the Rambam. You would have asked me, I would have told you a long time ago. <laughs> Which is you know, it's a very sweet. Um, I think when I when when he said of that story, he was holding that stage of life where he thought may, maybe his mother was right after all. But uh, fine. So, so to to tell somebody to believe, you can't tell somebody to believe. A mitzvah to know is also. What does it mean? It's a mitzvah to know to study the works. You either understand it. You can't. You can make a mitzvah to study. You can make a mitzvah to attempt to to understand. But. What does it mean a mitzvah to know, to understand? It, and it's, it's, it's something that I would refer to a little bit later. And not, not this point, but it's a point to bear in mind. Okay, let, let me, let me, okay, so... And let me maybe, since you've mentioned the point, so let's maybe just talk about it, because it is an important point. What exactly is the mitzvah he's going to be giving over the fundamentals of faith? And we've sort of eliminated, it can't be that he's telling you, you got to believe, because it's very hard to tell somebody you got to believe. This just doesn't make any sense. Either a person is convinced or not convinced. You can't, to, to say that you have to study, you're just outlining points. He's not really giving a course of study about it. Um, so let's focus on the word dat. In Hebrew, every every language is is Hebrew is a, is is a language that's rich only in particular words, and I guess they're very significant. Knowledge and wisdom has a lot of different uh, shades of, of, of synonyms to it. There's there's chokhmah, there's bina, there's das, there's haskel, and and, and the seichel, all sorts of, of words. Das in particular is the following. It, 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 the word das is used, as Rabbi mentioned, is used in, in, in connection. It says when Adam married his wife and lived with her, it was called dat. In, in knowledge is the following. I, I, I'm sure that everyone believes here that there are people starving in India. And, you know, I don't think anyone denies the fact. And I think everyone is with me that it's a terrible thing that people should starve. But I don't think anyone here is ever pulled out his checkbook and written a check for kids in India. Whereas if somebody's neighbor is down or, or they need something, people have worked, brought them over a meal or, or whatever it is, whatever context the neighbor needed it. Or shul or something. The, 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 what's the difference? It's not that you know one to be true or not to be true or anything. It's how much has that knowledge crossed into the person's um, the person's uh, being in the sense of his active person. How much has that knowledge really filled him up? People know that smoking is not healthy. In mind, when I grew up, I'm sure everyone here, smoking was a very social activity. I mean, you, you smoked and it was, it was fine. People began, people knew that smoking was healthy. It's not when you witness someone who's sick, God forbid, and you know smoking caused it, it drives the point home, not because you didn't believe it till then, but there's a certain level of how much is that knowledge, gut knowledge, and how much is it sort of intellectual knowledge. The people starving in India are, it, it, it's intellectual knowledge, we know it, and, we, and, and 
no one doubts it, and so on and so forth, it hasn't hit home to the person. That is the knowledge when it crosses over from being just a rational type of thing to being a part of the person's um, mitzvahs, part of the person's reality. So belief is the same thing. If we believe that God created the world and and, and there is and, and there's a purpose for man and, and there's direction, all these things, I don't think anyone doubts it once they're religious. What religious people struggle with is not the philosophy of it, but how much does it really mean? It mean to me. How meaningful is it to me? It, it's 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 all the seichel, and and no one who is religious, certain people are born religious, no one ever entertains doubts except for that Mr. Holder who, who had to read the Rambam. But for most of us, for most of, of the people, that that's never an issue. But the issue is how much do you does it become vivid to you, real on on a, on a physical level. So Leda is one of the ways of understanding it is, and a, and a very prominent way of understanding it is, that it become part of the person's um, reality. That the person think about it, understand it, um, picture it, and live it so that it becomes part of his mitzvahs. That, so, so the mitzvah is to take those ideas and reinforce them in a way, and every person is different in this, in a way that they are um, that they become part of the of the of the body almost. They become part of the gut instinct rather than just understandings and knowledges and philosophy. So that's the mitzvah to make it part of Yes, and that's possible. So now I'm talking to a person that believes and he knows it, but he's lazy. He'd rather not think about it. Just like the person who smokes, he knows. And nobody nobody thinks it's healthy, but he just pushes out of his mind. The, the, the consequences. To live it is, is, is really the, the mitzvah. And, yes? To make it real for yourself yeah. is one thing. But I, I think that there's a strong implication of involving yourself with that other, you know, like the boober eye thing. Yeah. In other words, if I talk to a patient about making it real for himself that smoking was going to kill him. Yeah. And he does something about that for himself. Right. Uh, that's that's different than having a relationship with that thing. And the, I, I, I feel that the Rambam is saying involve yourself with God. And, and by, by knowing, to, but to the extent that you internalize, that you know that Hashem is is well, the, the prime mover of everything and to the extent that you that more and more you you meditate on that and you work with it and you make that real for you and that 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 penetrates everything that you're doing then you're involved you become you develop a relationship with well, in a certain sense that's a direction the, the rambam who in, in, in guide for the perplexed says that the purpose of all mitzvot is to gain some knowledge of god so what's the point of doing it all I think that that's the point that you're making. Mitzvot are when you do act, for instance, and this is a theme that's very common, a person can sit and think about Pesach and talk about it, and there's a certain level of understanding that comes with it. When you eat something bitter, and when you eat matzos, and that, there is a vividness to it that imprints itself that all the talk in the world is just not going to do it. So mitzvot as a whole are that type of involvement with God, that that has in itself a stamp of reality that you could not have just by discussing ideas and talking about. So, so in a sense, very possible. Okay, now let's see one more point. Leida sheyesha matzu to know that there is a prime being. This is a very, very important point. It's a little bit of a difficult point. Let's take an argument that is used to um, to discuss God, to prove God. Quote, quote. I don't like the word proof in these things, but, but people use it to prove God. And it works as follows. Um, where did this world come from? Um, came from the Big Bang. Where does Big Bang come from? I don't know. We'll find another thing. Where did that come from? Gee, I'm stumped. I don't know. So the scientist has been stumped. Okay, Mr. Religion. So what do you say? Big Bang. And where did that come from? God. And where did God come from? You're not allowed to ask that. 
so, so the only real difference is that we're just more firm than they are. <laughs> you know, like if, 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 if somebody would come up, if somebody would come up with with a, a from science and say, well, science does not permit those, which is actually a formula used. You know, it's not the system does not allow for that question. Then fine, then then you're off the hook. So what is it? So so in a certain sense, you know, you're coming with the same point, except that you're from it. Oh my. I think the famous Stephen Hawking story where a lady, um, he was lecturing, and she said, you know, all that talk is fine, but we all know the world stands on a giant turtle. So he said, ma'am, and what does the turtle stand on? So she told him, well, you think you're smart. It, it's turtles all the way down, sir. <laughs> that, that's the, 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 the <laughs> you know, it's like the Amur, it's the Amura Chachma, the turtles all the way down. So we're 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 where where are we different? What? It's a Gansa turtle. It's a Gansa turtle. <laughs> that's awesome. Where are we different? So, so understand it the following: what that direction of that argument is. I'm a person with no beliefs and understanding, and so my elementary reaction is it's not possible that anything exists outside the concept of logic and axioms the way I have them. And as a scientist, and a scientist I mean any sane, balanced person will reject something that doesn't make sense. Um, you know, and rightfully so. Rightfully so. So a person sits down in a world, no axioms, no preconceptions, no prejudices. And he asks himself where everything comes from. It makes no difference what solution he comes up with. But the question always begs itself, where did that come from? Now, all that that tells me is that cause and effect are not the reality of the world. There can't be an endless cause and effect because there's no such thing as an infinite cause and effect. It, it doesn't make sense. I come, I come to a problem here. I cannot say, cause and effect is the basic building block of human logic. It's, it's the most axiomatic perception. A causes B. For everything, there is a cause before. There's no such thing as for no reason. So my logic, or my, my most elementary logical perception comes to a point where it asks itself, and it's not a question, I'm not just saying it comes to a certain point, a specific point. I don't mean to say, well, we don't know where the Big Bang comes from. I'm saying it's like one of those math things where if you prove n plus 1 is an unknown, that means there's no real solution because you'll always move it over 1. It, 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 there is no way in which the, the where from provides, can provide an answer for, I think this is mine. I think I'm supposed to, upside down. Okay, so the, the, there is no way that that question of where from is the reality of the world. The world exists, and it has to come from someplace, and yet someplace is not a right answer because there is an infinite amount of some places, and I still haven't answered the question. So the only thing that I can say honestly is the following. Within the structure of the world as I know it, cause and effect are a correct approach, and it makes sense. But that is not the entirety of reality. That's not the entirety of the system. There must be point A of origin that cause and effect do not apply to it. Or, or else we're in a paradox. All I can say is, and like sometimes science will come to a point and say, I don't know what it is, but I can define about it. I can say that X is greater than Y, even though I don't know what the numbers are. All I can say is, for the world to exist, there must be some source which has, does the rules of cause and effect do not apply to it. Can I understand it? No. But that itself is what is implied. That my understanding can relate to the world as is, it can provide solutions within a context, but it can't provide the solution for ultimate existence. It just can't. The system is not good for it. So what I've proven is there must be a prime being that has the following characteristic. And again, I, I, I can just speak about the characteristics even though I, it's, it's something no one will understand. What is the most elementary characteristic of that prime being? It's as follows. If I walk into a room and I see tables, shelves, and so on, 
I ask myself, where did this come from? Somebody must have donated it, somebody must have built it, somebody must have set it up, somebody must have placed it. Fair. If I walk into a room that's empty, I don't ask, I, there is no question why is this room empty. That's, that's, not, that's, that's a non-question. It, it, it's empty because everything is empty until somebody did something to change it. So in things in this world, non-existence is a default state, and existence is, is, is a state that requires a reason for it. There must be some point in the great reality where existence is a default setting and non-existence is a question. If God's not around, the question is why not and where is he not here? If he is here, the question from where does not apply. Do I understand it? No. I, I can work with it, but I, I, I can't understand it because my mind is not of that type. My mind is limited, it's, it's physical, and it's got the sense of when, I, when you walk into a place you know, and, and, and it's built up, the question is who built it? No one's going to say, well, it just, it just happened to be that way. It, 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 no, no things happen to be that way. Things are only there when somebody is, is done it. But the solution to the reality in, in, in its large scope is there must be a point, a primary point, that comes, its existence is intrinsic to itself. It does not need, it, 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 it does, the question from where does not apply to it. And it's an important point. Do I understand it in the way I understand things that are natural to me? No. I, but can I define it on paper? Yes. And I, I mean, anyone who's taken science or math, there are plenty of things you work with. You work with the square root of minus one, even though it's, it's a physical impossibility. We don't have it. But it, it does work in the equations as long as you keep it with, you know, in its right quadrant and you work with the laws. It's fine. It, it's, I can work with it even though for the life of me nobody ever saw a square root of minus one. It, 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 it's, you know, it, it just doesn't, doesn't exist in any physical reality that we can really put our fingers on. So, and yet, I can work with it because I know what its structure is like. It's the same thing. No one can understand what it means that a thing exists because it exists. It's, it's um, you know, you ever catch a child, you know, like you walk in a room and you're like, hey, wh where did the hole in the window come from? Um, I, it just happened to be here. You know, it, 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 things don't happen to be, and, and we don't have any feel for that. We don't understand for that. But, what's that? But, but, in, 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 but in God, that is the definition of God. So, let me finish, so, so I have the, God is a primary being, meaning he, there is a point that is primary in the sense it's got no why for its existence. It needs no why for its existence. It is primary in the sense, like, like primary numbers, that are built not by any previous construction, but because it, 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 it's what it is. Yes? It's interesting that you brought up a child. I was thinking about that right before you said it, because pre-logical, uh, pre-logic state, yeah. the, the early child state, and Piaget and a lot of the other child development people talk about this, you, you hear them say, well, just because. Yeah. Why? Just because. Just because. Right. It just is. This is a, a very common statement of children, and it's very interesting because uh, you can read in various parts of the Masora people saying that, that a person can do a great deal of avoda to come to the simple understanding of the child. Um. In other words, you go through this logical process to arrive to a place of simplicity. Well, part of it is because a child has to, and I think I've also, you, you, every axiom, it, it stops at that. It, it's, there, axioms don't have a construction, so a child has to pick up a certain amount of axioms, and just because, or in a vrit kacha, mm -hmm. that's the, you know, kacha covers almost every, every, every difficult situation. <laughs> so the, I think, I, by the way, it happens to be one of the fascinations I think like with Harry Potter, or, not, I haven't read any books, but my kids are, have actually, and, and I think one of the fascinations is people like things that just come from nowhere. It's like, you know, a castle doesn't have to be built by anybody, no construction company and no building committee and nothing, it just, poof, you know, it's there, you know, like it's, it's it, it, there's something that people like about that idea, though. Really? They don't make life simple enough, you just go like this and uh, it's there, things are there because they're there. But at any rate, so the first definition of God is that he is a primary being. Matsi Rishon. There, there Ramchal says very similar. There's another 
term used similar to this by some of the other sperm, and I'll mention it. It's called mitzios hamuchrachas, which means um, literally existence that is um, that has to be an existence, a ne- a not, nece- ne- not necessary in the sense necessary for something else, but it is. Um, it, it, it exists, it has to be that way. That's the Mitzvah Smokrachas, that's the term used. And it's the same, it means the same thing. So the first thing is this understanding that there is a primary being of existence. One more word. And he gave existence to everything else. And this is a point that is going to, the Raman will elaborate later, and it's an important point. When we picture ourselves against God, Against meaning the sense vis-a-vis. Now we think of God as being stronger, wiser, ancient. We look for superlatives to find out how God is better, stronger, whatever, however you wish us. Um, and it's very much this is the society we live in, in the Gaiusha society. I mean, a person believes in God, believes that He's great, <coughs> wonderful, fantastic, and so on. Fine. It, it's not the belief in God that we have. The belief in God is that everything else you can compare. We are smart, a little bit smart, and God is infinitely smart. We are a, l- a little bit kind, God is infinitely kind, and whatever. The one thing that is completely distinct is existence. God exists because his existence needed no reason to exist. Therefore, its, 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 its existence is intrinsic. For instance, let, let's, let's take something and, and um, an example. A person who is musical will always be singing because that's his nature. That's his neshama. He's a singer. He's a person who sings and, 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 and that's it. A person who has to sing because they put him in a choir, he's lonely, he's, he, he heard a nice tune, that singing is only going to take a small amount of time because something brought it on and therefore it's going to go. It's not going to stay around because it's not intrinsic to the person. It, 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 it happened for a reason. So that limits... I can't say the person is a singer. He sings on occasion. He has a reason to sing. He is singing, but he's not a singer uh, or an artist or whatever, uh, whatever it is. When we say that God, we exist, since our existence was brought about by something, we don't exist because we intrinsically exist. So you can't term a person an existence. Um, God exists because his existence needs no reason, as we explained before, and therefore you can't take anything away which would make it stop existing. Therefore, existence is is correct definition of God. The word that we use for God, in in not as a relative term, powerful, mighty, but yud and hey and above and hey which is the most central name of God that we have, comes from the root of existence. The Rambam says it um, somewhere in, in Morad of Vuchim actually speaks about it, and he says it in an extraordinary way, he says it. Um, it's, it's, it's extraordinary the way, the way he presents it. The Rambam says the following. God, Hashem, Moshe asked God, they're going to ask me your name. What shall I tell the Jews is your name? So he says, Eke, Aleph, Hey, Yud, Hey, which is the same root as Yud, Kei, Vav, Kei, Asher, that Eke will, 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 uh, I am the one that will exist, who, who will exist. In Hebrew, the construction is extremely, extremely difficult construction. I am the one who will be, that, that indeed will be. I, I mean, it, it's one of those areas where you, you can't really fill in a good translation. Eke, Asher, Eke. The Rambam says the following. It's, it's awesome pshat in He says, Eke Asher Eke means the following. The word Asher in Hebrew connects an adjective to a noun. Yaakov Asher Poda. Ruvain Asher Gozal. Asher is a term which is a descriptive connection. It's, it's a preposition that, that connects the noun. So when I say um, Yaakov, who stole, who's the Yaakov Asher Ganav, or whatever it is. So the Rambam says, every being in the world, its existence has some reason why it exists. 
so-and-so because he was put into this world. So-and-so because these are his parents and, and, and gave him a body. So-and-so because of this. The, all things, in every being in the world has an existence for a reason. God is the only thing that existence loops around itself, so to speak. Erke, asher erke. I am the one who exists because I exist. I am the exister who exists. It, it's sort of, the adjective loops around itself. I am I, 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 X that equals X, which is not possible, I mean, logically, that, that's a meaningless statement, except for God, where it means I exi- I'm the only thing in the world that existing, existence is intrinsic to me. So the Rambam says, Moshe was, he was introducing a new concept. He said, he asked God, how will I introduce the concept of God to the people? They were slaves, they were sunk into Avodah What should I tell them? The powerful is going to come to redeem them, the mighty one. So he said, Ekasha Eka means I, the existence which exists because it exists. Basically, that's what he says. So Ekasha Eka is the same as, as the Sudke Vavke. So we, we have to understand that God is the primary being, and anything else has existence only because God endowed our existence. Let me just sum up. The, the, so, so we've done the first half of the first halacha. I mean, obviously, the first halacha is...
he's done us axioms for the rest of Torah, plus this will be a thread that will be within Torah, and the Rambam, the Mona Bukhum, almost all the reasons that he gives for mitzvot are belief in God, unity of God, and so on. The, the, we touched upon the point later, what it means knowing, and in what sense, um, what, what is the obligation of belief. And the, the definition we gave was das, meaning a knowledge which has become concretized, and a knowledge that's passed from being just logical or intellectual to something which becomes very, very much part of the person. We explained that the basic belief is the prime God's existence. Prime existence is how God is defined in contrast to anything else in the world. And anything else in the world, its existence, the word existence, is simply a, a it draws what we call existence from God, but it's got no real existence on its own. Okay, so we'll hold it here.
I know you do.